Hello, friends. It's great to be joining with you at a time when our world is filled with challenging and far too often with heartrending news. I mean, we've seen horrible tragedies unfold in the news in past days with discrimination, racism, violence. And there is a pull to say something about it beyond just saying this is wrong or this isn't the way it was intended to be. And you know, there are many who have come out with statements about George Floyd and recent events. And some of those statements have been poignant. Others have missed the mark significantly. And so it actually feels like this is a time, especially as a Caucasian, to listen, to learn, before trying to address the great complexities of just the latent racism and injustices that exist in our world. You know, even in our pastoral staff meeting this week, our pastors of minority ethnicities shared about some of the discriminations that they and their friends of color have experienced in Canada. And that feels in a small way like just one starting point of listening, of learning. And to those of you within our church family of color who have experienced racism, discrimination, we grieve with you. We're so thankful you are part of us. And we grieve if we've been the source of any discrimination. And this we acknowledge, we confess our own brokenness. We want to learn in this. And so instead of addressing those situations, this racism of our day specifically, we're going to just come to Scripture to seek to listen and learn from it, from what God's Word tells us, what guidance it gives us, and we're going to come back to Romans 8 and use that text really as a bridge, a springboard towards other passages. And really today, I want to begin with a particular phrase that we read in Romans 8. And again, as we come to Scripture, remember, this is the Word of God. And this is what Paul wrote in Romans 8.22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now we're going to come back to this passage next weekend, but today I just want to bridge from that phrase, we, creation, groan. We groan inwardly. We groan even during this life. And why? I mean, we groan, creation groans, because this isn't the way God intended life to be. I mean, we groan when we see our world, our environment being wounded. We groan when we see the nations rage against each other. We groan at the divisions in our society that really only seem to be widening. And we groan at discord, at, at violence, at racism, leading to horrible acts. I mean, we groan there is not peace and that there's so little grace. So what then do we do? How do we respond? Well, as we seek to listen today, let's, let's look at a fairly well-known passage from the prophet Micah. You know, in Micah 6, Micah is actually sharing an imagined conversation with God, with Yahweh and his people. 
And the people of Israel, as was typical of them, they were complaining against God. They were they're drifting from God. And so God responds to them through Micah. And this is what we read in Micah 6 and verse 3. Because first, God rebukes his people and, and God cries out to his people. And listen to the heart of God in this. Verse 3. Oh, my people, says the Lord, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. In other words, God is asking, I mean, how has he caused them to become so weary of him that they've ceased to obey him? I mean, their patience with God, it can't be due to the inactivity on God's part because God had done so much for them. He had led them out of bondage in Egypt to freedom in the Exodus. He delivered them into a new homeland. So Micah then expresses the questions that the people were asking of God. This is in verse 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? I mean, okay, God, what do you want us to do? I mean, how do we turn back to you? How do we please you? How do we walk with you? How do we worship you? Is it through more sacrifices? Is it through giving you our firstborn? And so just catch this. I mean, their questions here reflect that they still think the relationship with God was just kind of some external religion. It was all about rituals, about services, about sacrifices, even the point of considering sacrificing a firstborn. I mean, they hadn't understood. And so Micah responds to them with these words in verse 8. God has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your Lord. In other words, God's desire is not some external religion. It's not just some empty religious ritual. He seeks and offers this transforming relationship that transforms the way we live. And what is one of the first fruits of living in this transforming relationship? It's to do justice, doing justice. I mean, Micah, here speaking of his own ministry, he says just a bit earlier in this book, in Micah chapter 3, verse 8, Micah writes, but as for me, I'm filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord. So Micah, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, just what we've been reading about in Romans chapter 8. And what fruit flows out of that filling in Micah's life? I am filled with power, he says, and then verse 8, he continues, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sin. The Holy Spirit's filling expressed in power, might, and justice. I mean, Micah is saying, when we're walking with God, seeking to honor him and live by his Spirit's power and guidance, our lives will be marked by doing justice. Okay, now, when Scripture talks about justice, what does it mean? Because it actually talks about it a lot. In fact, you can't really navigate through any part of Scripture without running into this call to do justice. You can be reading through the Old Testament narratives or the law, the Psalms, Proverbs, Prophets, Gospels, Epistles, and you will hear the call to express justice, to confront injustice. I mean, it's just throughout scripture that we find it. And it's not just that it's mentioned so frequently, but also that it's mentioned so fervently. 
I mean, Proverbs tells us that one of the distinguishing marks in God's eyes between the righteous and the wicked is their actions regarding justice. I mean, Proverbs 29, 7 says, the righteous, they care about justice for the poor. But the wicked, they have no such concern. So throughout the prophets, as in Micah, God essentially says to his people again and again, Okay, you can have great worship services. You can have solid teaching. You can have delightful music, great prayer meetings, dynamic Bible study, fantastic programs. But it means nothing to me. In fact, it is detestable to me if your love and faith do not get expressed in the form of justice. Because our God is passionate about justice. And consider this. I mean, we long to have those around us, family and friends, come to know just the wonder and glory and gift of a relationship with Christ. We long for that, don't we? And we ask a question, okay, so how do we do that? How can in some way the light that we have in Christ kind of burst forth in some way? How, how can as we walk through the, this life have the righteousness and goodness of God go before us as we reach out to others? Well, in the writings of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah challenges those who practice this ritualistic religion and spirituality, but then treated others unjustly. For example, they, these people, they would put this, this great display of misery on when they fasted to make certain others knew how spiritual they were. So they had their heads bowed down continually. They wore sackcloth. They were covered in ashes. But God wasn't impressed. In fact, He says to them, this is Isaiah 58, verse 6. The Lord said to the people, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then the Lord says, meaning if you follow me in this way, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer you. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. I mean, let's not misunderstand as we read this. Isaiah wasn't talking about doing justice in order to gain salvation or to enter a relationship with God. The people in the Old Testament times, they had that already through the sacrificial system. And now, by God's grace, we have that relationship through faith in Christ alone. But for them, as for us, God's desire is that we, his people, I mean, forgiven through Christ, now express God's justice and mercy towards the most helpless in the face of oppression, destitution, injustice, discrimination. You know, we look at the news and we see how greatly we have fallen short of this calling. But God says that as we do this, as we express biblical justice, then our light will break forth like the dawn. Righteousness will go before us and the glory of the Lord itself will be our rear guard. 
So it's so clear. There's an expectation from God that those of his people who have, and really, that would be just about all of us in this culture. Those of us who have, have a social responsibility to those who have not. And the thing is, our Western individualistic culture hates that. It grates against that. But before you react against it, just listen to the reason for God's expectation. I mean, our Western conception of justice, it almost exclusively gravitates uh, towards individual rights. I mean, our Western idea of justice is that justice is freeing the individual from the constraints of the group. But biblical justice has a very different emphasis. Biblical justice means deep community, deep interwovenness, deep, deep interdependence. It's really returning creation to the, just the interconnected beauty that all of creation, that all people were intended to have by God. So you see how different that is? from kind of our Western idea of justice? Biblical justice, in other words, is the way things ought to be. More specifically, the way they were created to be. No sickness, no hungry babies, no homelessness, no war, no oppression, no injustice. Gardens, paradise, shalom. Okay, so what then does doing that kind of justice look like in our lives? I mean, is it making certain that I'm treated fairly, justly? Not really. In, in fact, not at all. I mean, from the breadth of Scripture, we can say that doing justice is seeking to bring justice, relief from oppression, for those who are most helpless. For example, the fatherless, the widow, those who really just can't battle for themselves. In fact, in Isaiah 1.17, it says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And, and now if you're thinking of this, okay, Clyde, though, but this is kind of an Old Testament concept we're speaking of here, right? Well, let's look at the New Testament writings. In fact, let's go to the book of James. Because in James, James gives more detail to the thoughts of Micah 6. This is what James writes in James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. And we ask, okay, so why would caring for orphans and widows be the mark of authentic religion, of authentic faith? And it's because... It reflects our God's heart. You know, the psalmist writes in Psalm 68, a father of the fatherless, a protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. In other words, we're called to live like, to be like our heavenly father. So if we're walking in a relationship with God, growing in devotion to him, then increasingly, the things that God cares about will be the things we care about. And our God fathers those who are fatherless. He watches over the widow. And so that's why John would write these words 
so resolutely, again, friends, listen to what the word of God says. This is in John, 1 John 3, 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. Now the thing is, we human beings, even we followers of Jesus, we have this tremendous capacity to be inactive, silent, as we observe the pain or suffering of others. In fact, the biblical scholar David Nystrom, he put it this way. When the news footage of the modern-day concentration camps and ethnic cleansing of Bosnia first graced our television screens, North Americans were outraged. A year later, though, the latest editions of those images had little power over us as we switched the channel to the sports news. How can we become so callous? As unsavory as it is to realize, we are ones who become jaded, numbed to even the most outrageous evil. I mean, we easily become numb to injustice. Honestly, we followers of Christ, we need to battle against numbness. And we can reasonably presume we are already overly numbed. And, and so a question. I mean, where might we be supporting patterns of injustice in our culture through our silence, our apathy? I mean, you likely know that in the American South, chattel slavery was defended, although not legitimately, on biblical grounds by followers of Jesus. And we look on that and perhaps think, how could they? How could they have been so misled? But isn't it reasonable to assume that there could be comparable features in our contemporary North American life that we are blind or apathetic to? I mean, we should remember that in Matthew 23, Jesus confronted the most outwardly religious people of his day with just very challenging words. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus says this, and again, listen. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. What are those? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You know, we could keep going. We could just go through passage after passage that exhorts us in this way to do justice, to relieve oppression. And, and for one, as we read these passages, they should all really lead us to Jesus, to say to the Lord, oh Lord, we are blind, we are apathetic. Far too often we're devoid of compassion. I mean, thank you for your forgiveness, for your compassion for us. Would you mold our hearts, we pray. Would you fill us with your wisdom, your love? And having received forgiveness in Christ, I mean, be filled with his Holy Spirit and by his grace to begin to let justice roll through us even. I don't know how many of you are aware of our DNA, kind of our heritage as part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance as a, really a movement of churches. 
It was at the close of the 19th century, there was a Presbyterian pastor. He was actually born in Canada, and he was serving at a wealthy, very prominent church in New York City. His name was A.B. Simpson, and he looked out on the impoverished immigrants that were just flooding into New York by the tens of thousands, and he knew we have to respond. We have to care for them. We need to also let them know about Christ. And so he brought this need before his very affluent New York congregation, and they said this, no. I mean, all of them, they they would wreck our beautiful new church. That's what they said. So Simpson left the church, and he started a church in New York that reached out to the poor, uh, to the marginalized. They actually met in a theater for a while, and later on they met in a community center. And they were reaching out with the love and mercy of Jesus to those who were physically, spiritually impoverished. And then other churches started saying, okay, that's what we want to be about too. And so they really started this kind of informal alliance of churches. I mean, there were, some were Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Methodist, Baptist, some were of no denomination. And they all said together, we want, about, want to be about caring for those in need reaching out to those who don't know Jesus in our own city and to the nations, and in all of it, living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so eventually, they started calling themselves the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And that's our heritage. And again, we're not following Simpson. We're following Jesus. So can I encourage you? Let's just honestly look at our lives. I mean, are our lives marked by providing relief for those in need? Seeking justice for the marginalized? Would you say, is our main concern during this pandemic how it inconveniences us? Even how it inconveniences us as a church? Rather than protecting those who are most vulnerable in our society? I mean, Certainly, we can always do much more. But would you say, do our finances, do do your life, display consistent, tangible expressions of doing justice for the oppressed? I mean, think about this. I mean, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that just before Jesus gathered with his disciples for the Last Supper, you could call it the First Communion, really, He told his followers about the day when he would return again in his second coming. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, When I return as a son of man, I will come in my glory with all my angels with me, and the nations will be gathered before me. And to my right, I will set apart my sheep, those who are authentic followers of Jesus. To my left will be the goats, those who have rejected him. And Jesus then said, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come now. Enter my kingdom. Inherit this kingdom that's been prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Because I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, I was an immigrant, and you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then Jesus said, the righteous will say to him, but Lord, I mean, when were you hungry and we fed you? When were you thirsty and we gave you drink? When were you an immigrant among us? And we welcome you. And Jesus said this in Matthew 25, 40. And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, 
as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers. You did it to me. You did it to me. So what do we do? Oh, a few things. First, I think, we repent. I mean, we acknowledge we don't live this way, Father. I mean, secondly, we, we need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. As Romans 8 has been telling us, we need to let the Spirit's justice flow through us. But then also, again, friends, we need to listen and learn. I, I encourage you, listen to what those who have experienced discrimination are saying. Listen, don't first defend, listen and learn. And then keep your eyes open, pray. There will be opportunities around you. Maybe there'll be families in need. Maybe God will even prompt you in some vocational new direction. So over all this, can we do this as we come before God, as we've listened to his word? Can we pray over these things? Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? And Father, we do confess, we repent. We do not reflect what your spirit looks like in bringing grace, justice, mercy. We pray that through him, you would empower, guide us. Father, would you, even in this season, would you give us insight? Would you give us the ability to listen, to hear? We pray, Father. In all this, even as we walk through this week, we pray by your grace. You would be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. So glad you could be joined with us today, friends, and invite you to participate again next weekend in our online liturgy. But also, I invite you here next Sunday, June 14th. I invite you to come because we're going to share communion on site together in Walden in our parking lot. It's going to be served by some of our pastors and elders invite you to come. It will be between 10 and 12 next Sunday. Now, again, this isn't a worship service. We will have our online liturgy next weekend also. But this is simply providing communion and blessing for each one of us. So you'll just drive into a parking lot. You'll go to the one of spots in the parking lot where we'll serve communion and receive it, receive words of blessing and head off from there. Now, we're going to be providing details of how this will flow on our website this week and through the Realm app. So I encourage you to pay attention to those. And if you're wondering, why are we doing this? As we say, every time we receive communion, communion is not just remembering what Christ has done. It is certainly, it is profoundly that. But communion also, it actually provides spiritual nourishment through, for us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So next Sunday, June 14th, I invite you to come here and be fed. And as you walk through whatever this week holds for you, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of his Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.